got a great song to play, you know. Just, uh, uh. Hello? Have you ever snogged a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah, we're on there. Can I swear? Shit! Oh, yeah. Madonna, Cher, Prince, they all got along fine with just being known by one name. And so did my guest on this episode of Crunch and Roll. So if you were listening to some of the UK's biggest station 10, 20 years ago, you'd have probably heard him. In fact, if you listened to any commercial station on a Sunday afternoon, you'd have definitely heard him because, well, he presented the charts. It's Lucio. He was radio royalty in the 2000s, working at Galaxy, Kerrang, XFM, Capital, Absolute. I mean, I could go on, but there'd be no point listening. But hang on a minute, we've, we've not heard a peep from him in years. Where's he gone? Find out in this episode, along with how he came out on air, how he was once fired by an all-staff email, and which chart show he would have listened to. And the answer, it may surprise you. There's adult stories and strong language, so let's crunch and roll. Oh, yeah. Lucio, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, thank you so much for doing Crunch and Roll. I, when I messaged you, I, I sensed that you were, were, were slightly reluctant to do this. Is that right? This is my first bit of radio, with inverted commas. Is podcasting radio? I don't really understand. Yeah, it's, it's on a par, I guess. But yeah, this is the first thing I've done in probably about 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. It, that, I mean, it doesn't feel that long ago that I used to listen to you on the radio. Does it feel like it's... Ten, do you, do no. you miss it? Um, do I miss it? Sometimes. I think so I, it was kind of a backhanded compliment, which um, Andy Roberts is kind of famous for, if you know Andy Roberts, who's yeah, 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 famously yeah. in charge of Kiss for decades and decades and decades. When I was kind of fast approaching, completely running out of stations to work at, he said to me at some awards thing, he said, you know, your, your problem is you're a great presenter but there just isn't a radio station that's right for you. <laughs> what, the, what is that? How, how helpful is that? I took, it, I took it as a compliment. It's like a backhanded compliment, you know. Like, um, I, mean, I mean, to get that many words out of Andy was a start anyway. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that was the case. The problem is um, when people are like, do you want to go back to radio? I was like, well, I'm not ruling it out, but I just... Even now in the digital age where there's stations for everything, I haven't kind of found a station where I'm like, I really want to work there. Really? And um, I, I kind of feel that, you know, I had lots to say in my 20s and 30s, and I've kind of said it all. And now in the internet age, everybody can just say what they want online. And quite frankly, I'm kind of bored of listening to what people have to say because most of it's not really worth listening to. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, it's like, why would people want to listen to me around? It's kind of easier what I'm doing now. But I don't rule it out. But, you know, I also, I don't really have the big idea of what I'd want to do if I if I came back. And I think kind of the reason why I why I left radio, um, and, and I still haven't kind of thought, right, if I did come back, if I did do some radio, what would that be? And it'd have to be something really big, and it'd have to be something really exciting, and it would have to be something that no one else is doing. And I haven't come up with that idea yet. But I'm not ruling it out. It might happen, but I haven't. Sure, come we've, up. we've got an hour together. Who knows? We <laughs> yeah, might call we'll that up format. <laughs> right. Well, I, let's go right back to the start because I was driving in this morning, and I thought I know very little about you. Um, um, and we'll get onto how much of a fan I was of you in a bit. Um, no, let's start maybe, with that. Let's start. No, no. We'll, start we'll get onto that. Where are you? Where are you from originally? So where are you I'm, born? I, I was born in Kent, um, but then when I was about one, I moved to Holland, uh, okay. to the Hague. And then uh, moved back to the UK when I was five. Um, grew up in Woking, which is just outside of London. Um, never liked Woking. Never liked Woking at all. And then the moment I had the chance to, to, to leave Woking at 18, went to uni, I, I went to Bradford Uni. And the reason was I was wanting to do environmental science. And there was only about five universities that you could do that course in. And I also wanted to do student radio. And Bradford had a really good student radio station called Ram Air. Right. Um, which um, I think nowadays is kind of barely functioning and, and student radio has become a really big thing. But way back in 1993, there were only a few unis that had student radio and, um, and Bradford was one of them. So I was like, well, I'll go there. Were you good on air to start? No, it was terrible. One? Right, good. It's absolutely good, awful. I, I wouldn't believe any of my guests who go, yeah, I was the absolute <laughs> nuts from day one because none of us were. It may, maybe Stephanie Hurst might have been. Because then she started at like 12 or something on Radio oh, Air. 
she, she's coming up on this, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I think pr- perhaps even younger than that. And she was she was great then. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. No, no, it was awful because the thing that people don't realise is right. You kind of have to practice how to speak. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Because you listen back to yourself and you go, "Oh my god, I sound awful." So you kind of have to practice how to speak. You definitely have to practice how to laugh without sounding like an idiot on the radio. You have to think about what you're going to say before you say it, which is always a problem. And, and it's, you know, even now for some presenters, you're like, what, did, what the hell are you talking about? Do you not even think this through? You had like a three-minute song before then. You could have just thought about what you were going to say. But, you know, it, it is a skill set and, and you need to learn it. And, um, and, and you kind of get there by messing up in every possible way. And, and then th- there'll be one day that you don't mess it up after trying whatever you're doing a billion times. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that was maybe all right. Well, so you you're do Student Union in Bradford, and of course, you're, uh, I've got your list of stations here. Yeah. And your first professional gig is The Pulse in yeah. Bradford. So how did you get from... Because not many people go from student to professional so, straight away. Um, our student radio station, Rama, had a really good relationship with The Pulse. And they would always come to us. So, you know, commercial radio, a lot of the adverts, especially back in the 90s, were always for, come to Huddersfield College. It's amazing. You'll have fun. So whenever they needed people to do those voiceovers, they would come to us at Ramair and say, hey, can you guys come in and, you know, voice this advert and we'll give you £2.50 or whatever. And um, and here, here's an old... Um, Here's an old reel-to-reel we don't use anymore. You can have that for, for your student station. <laughs> and, you know, here's a B-side of uh, Erasure songs album that you can have as well great thank you um so i kind of started from that and then there was a guy called uh, matt kane who got a job from uh, ram air station at the pulse and then basically just like all of us uh, um at our student station that were serious about radio used to just bombard um steve martin who was the program controller of the pulse at the time with with countless tapes and um eventually i got asked to do an overnight show from like you know, just a one-off from 2 a.m. till 6. And uh, and then it started from there. Do you know, I started um, my professional career doing weekend overnights. And when you're doing weekend overnights, because nobody's listening, it's soul-destroying, isn't it? It really is. There's no one in the building. <laughs> no. There's, no one, there's no one listening. Apart from maybe, like, the, the, I don't know. Cause you, did, where did you start? Was it Viking? Viking. Yeah. Viking, yeah. So I remember I went and did a... Uh, kind of testing of Viking and they never asked me back. That was the, look, their loss. Their loss <laughs> well, no, I, I think we were really lucky actually um, in that part of the world because living in Bradford, I could hear the Pulse at the local stations, the Pulse radio where we could hear Viking really clearly, uh, we could hear Minster clearly, we could hear TFM clearly. And I think there was far more personality in Northern radio at the time than there was on stations in the Southeast excluding London. Um, I think it was very bland radio in the 90s in those kind of provincial stations in the South. Um, whereas I think in the North, because it was the days before the internet, you could just get away with anything because all the big kind of programme directors all lived down South, so they weren't listening. <laughs> and, and, and quite frankly, and even half of the programme directors at the stations didn't live in the towns because, you know, if, if you're a, a programme director back in those days, that was, you know, a pretty big gig. So why the hell would you want to live in Hull or uh, Bradford? Yeah. I mean, they didn't, didn't they? <laughs> Two absolute dumbs back in the 90s. They never listened. They'd kind of, they kind of occasionally, like once a month or whatever, they'd kind of ask you to do a snoop. And in those days, you had to put your actual tape in the machine to do a snoop, if you remember. There was yeah, a snoop yeah, yeah. machine, you'd put your tape in, you have to remember to record it. And uh, and then, you know, you'd quickly get rid of any of the shows that were, you know, either rubbish or that you'd said stuff that you didn't want them to hear. And then, you know, kind of be like your showstopper tape of what you thought or what you thought they thought they, they wanted their station to sound like. I know that we've got a mutual friend of Mark Story. I say a friend. He was, mm. He's not a friend of mine. He's a previous boss of mine who I respect a lot, uh, Mark Story. And um, I know he's friends with you, and I know respect, he respects you. I remember, like, he'd come in to do snoops occasionally, and he was, like, the group programme director. And you'd think, oh, no. So Mark's coming in today. Please, whatever he does, do not pick 7.30 to 8, because yeah. it was dog turned. <laughs> and he had this amazing ability to always pick the half hour you didn't want him to listen to. It was just incredible. He was, he was fantastic. Mark's story is a person that told me to come out on air 
because I was doing a late night show on Hallam FM, so kind of fast forwarding a few years, and um, whilst I wasn't not out, I wasn't pretending to be straight, I wasn't out. And Mark was listening to Snoop, and it was a talk show, and he was like, you just need to come out. And I remember um, programme director from Hallam was in there at the time looking completely shocked that, you know, the group programme director had told, you know, one of his presenters to be gay on air in, you know, Sheffield and Rotherham in the 90s. <laughs> and actually it was really, it was amazing advice and it was like a huge amount of freedom. Um, but Mark, Mark was really good. I almost got him shot once, which is kind of forbidden. <laughs> Maybe we'll come to that later when we do Kerrang. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so you, you're doing a, you're doing the one show at the Pulse, and then do, do you get do you get more regular gigs? So, what happens yeah. there? So I was um, basically kind of the stand-in at the Pulse. So um, Stephanie Hurst was doing evenings at the time. Um, who was on? Oh, yeah, someone probably won't name or be would have been on Breakfast. That's now in prison. Um, there are a lot of people <laughs> at the Pulse that ended up in prison. Actually. <laughs> Like, seriously, Google it. There's a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, me and... Um, so there was a presenter whose name on air was Sophie D, and she went to work for Key, and then she went to work down for the BBC, but um, in Newsbeat as a producer. And um, we both started in student radio at the time. We were always the troublemakers at the Pulse. So, you know, because we kind of try and do things that we weren't meant to do. And so we're the troublemakers. But actually, we were the good, we're the only ones, really, that didn't end up in prison. Well done. So, you know, <laughs> for really dodgy things as well. So, um, yeah. Basically, whenever um, Stephanie was off, kind of cover the evening show or cover... Um, afternoon it was just you know it's kind of random cover and then I'd do a new oh I did West Yorkshire's new official countdown made up chart at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning wow which, so the, I mean obviously we're going to get onto your because doing the chart yeah. is a hell of an achievement so, that so was my first chart show, show wow and then I remember starting being like How, how's the chart compiled mm, we kind of just make it up <laughs> <laughs> in the 90s you just made stuff up <laughs> I mean there was that big scandal wasn't there where, where they were like apparently radio stations when they say they picked caller number 5 haven't actually picked caller number 5 and there was a big scandal and it was because it implicated like the people like every, every radio station I think at that point radio stopped making things up and kind of was like oh no like actually if we say we're going for caller 5 it has to be caller 5 even if they're rubbish and they've won 17 things so far today <laughs> yeah. yeah it has to be them I'm afraid oh, no. I remember answering the phones and going can I just hear you scream before I let you know if you are lucky caller number five <laughs> and if they couldn't scream I'd be like you're number four let's go on it was so awful but you know it made great radio so, uh, so you know uh, but yeah so, so it's the made up chart and then I did a new music show which is called The Edge which is kind of um, indie and stuff um, on a Sunday evening which um, which I enjoyed that was good fun because it was kind of a bit of free play in that. Um, and I think after the first Ray Gels came out of West Yorkshire's new official countdown with your local swimming pool, I think it was sponsored with your local swimming pool, as a sponsor. And, um, and it did really well. It, it was, I think, like the most, it was either the top rated weekend show or one of the best rated shows on, on the station of the week. And I, I remember Steve Martin. Did you ever work with Steve Martin? No, I didn't know. He was one of those very weird people. Um, in radio so um, no words zero small talk straight to the point so your phone would ring it's like hi Steve Lucio Steve Martin can you do drive time on Wednesday yeah sure Steve um, anything and that would be it <laughs> that, that would be the phone call it's like well nice speaking to you Steve hope you're well uh, you know Steve Martin called his wife Denmark right and that wasn't her name she was Danish but it was he just referred to her as Denmark Denmark's coming to the station tomorrow. Surely she's got, I have no idea what her name is. I just know it's Denmark because that's all he'd refer to her as. But it's, you know, just one of those kind of radio people. Um, so, 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 yeah, he called me and he was like, um, I'm, I'm so happy that I'm going to increase your show fee from £40 to £45. And I was over the moon. Yeah, £45 a show, wow. <laughs> do I remember putting my first ever invoice in and feeling really scared to do so I was like somebody actually wants me to, to pay me to do this I know. <laughs> it just felt so surreal so um, from the pulse you then go to to signal yeah so at the time it was I can't remember maybe it was called the radio partnership so it was 
effectively, I think EMAP had bought out the Metro Group, but there were certain stations they couldn't own because back then you had proper um, competition law, so you couldn't own too many stations in a patch, unlike now where yeah. you can just buy every station and turn it into the same station. Um, yeah. <laughs> so back then you couldn't do that. So... Um, so the stations they couldn't own, the old Metro Group buses, and a kind of bit of a staff buyout, um, they ended up with the Pulse and Signal and maybe some other stations that I can't remember. Um, I think the Wave down on the south coast. And I was asked if I wanted to do the evening show on Signal Cheshire. And I can't remember the guy's name, but the managing director had come up from 2CR and he'd basically just stolen the GWR format and stripped the GWR format of any personality. And that was Signal Cheshire. And it was literally, <laughs> it, was, it was the worst. I, I hated it. So, uh, but, really? but, you know, I mean, I was doing the evenings. Um, I used to spend a lot of time, actually, on the phone to um, Simon Nix, who was doing the GWR, like, um, what was that e- What was their evening show? Core. The Core, that was it. And, um, and, and so we used to just, um, you know, kind of, be talking most nights actually um but it, it was so bland it was like play four songs that you know were the same four songs you just played 10 minutes ago and then you know do a 10 second speed link about how great signal cheshire was so, so i really didn't like it and then eventually i got sacked by um by the boss there and was very upset it's the only time i cried on being sacked why did you, can you talk about why you got sacked i just wasn't into it i mean i was sacked myself because i didn't really care <laughs> um and, and but it was the best thing that happened because I got a job on Galaxy. Wow. So you know this is this is where I start to get quite excited by your career because um, you know Pulse is a really good station. Signal I did breakfast for 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 a few years, but obviously I was at Viking at the same time as you being at Galaxy One Hundred and Five. And although we were enemies, um, <laughs> I would say we were Galaxy, enemies. <laughs> Galaxy One Hundred and Five was at that time was just an incredible station. It was amazing, wasn't it? So how did you get so? Because David Lloyd, who I love, mm. um, he was the boss there. So how did how did you get the gig at Galaxy One Hundred and Five? So I'd started actually at Galaxy One Hundred and Two after doing some stuff at Signal, and um, I can't remember whether it was there or One Hundred and Five. I was just doing some cover, and then they were launching the station in the northeast, and they wanted me to go for that, but I never got the job there. And then eventually. Um, it was, I can't, I think it was Gene Branch had just taken over at Galaxy 105 in charge there. And basically I got Adel Ray's slot on Galaxy, which was a drive time show. And Jean was a complete breath of fresh air. She was the first kind of boss I'd had. So she had come from, I can't remember which record company, let's say Universal. It was one of the big record companies where she was kind of, you know, I think she's maybe one of the A&Rs for their, for their dance label. And she was literally like, we just need to make the station sound fun, so I don't really care what you do as long as you're having fun. And, you know, she was very much the kind of boss whereby you could go out and party as late as you wanted, but if you had to be in at 9 o'clock, you had to be in at 9 o'clock. And if you're in at a minute past 9, you're in trouble. You know, so, so she was one of those kind of bosses. And it was really good fun. It was, you know, it was, a, it was an amazing station because it was one of those stations back I don't know if radio is quite the same anymore where an entire town or an entire region just listens to one station but definitely um in definitely in Leeds everybody listened to Galaxy 105 yeah it it was on a par with Kiss wasn't it the the love for it was on a par with Kiss and it was was over a million listeners wasn't it It it's massive and and you know I mean Jojo is still on air there so she's there on air day one when it was Kiss 105 and she's and she's still on that station. Is it Capital it's now? Incredible, and you know, amazing. And, and but the thing is, everybody knows. You know, it's, I kind of think if you're going to be a celebrity, you need to be a local celebrity where everybody. So, so in Leeds and, and Yorkshire, everybody knows who JoJo is, right? And you can't escape her laugh, and everybody knows who she is. But if she goes to Manchester, no one knows. No one has a clue. Amazing. No, that's like the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Dip your toe um, in both worlds. You know, there, there were just so many characters there, like Alex Pepper. Was like, yeah, blimey, hey, yeah. Who would, he did the evening show on Galaxy, and so they'd give him the playlist, obviously, and he would take maybe one song from the entire playlist and play, uh, you know, some hard trance remix of it that he'd found <laughs> somewhere, and, and that would be him sticking to the playlist because, you know, it was like, well, I'll... 
you know, you said I had to play Craig David, so that's that was it. That was the Craig David song that I played, and now I'm just going to play whatever I want. But you know, he was huge. He was <laughs> yes. like that show was absolutely massive, and you know, it's absolutely right for that region. It just wouldn't. It probably wouldn't have worked in any other part of the country. Well, there's um, the stuff the Petty, Petty, Petty. 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 does a lot of work. Well, I'm all for being open-minded, but I'm not all for discussing this live on air. Thank you. We are profoundly uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. This, this is when the fan bit comes in, Lucio. So you'll enjoy this bit. Um, but obviously, we were doing breakfast on Viking, yeah. and, um, it, and and, and you, you kept beating us on, on Rage R in certain areas, which angered us all. Um, but I remember, I used to listen to you. I used to listen to the station. I thought the station was great. It just sounded massive. It sounded fun. I thought the music was great. I don't know if it was your type of music, but I loved it. And then I, I thought you were amazing on air. Thank and you. Um, I'm, you, you were doing it. This is how sad it is. Sounds like I'm getting emotional. I'm not. I've just got a cold. Um, you were doing a gig at, um, I think the pub in Hull was called the Jazz Bar. Right. And I, I think you were doing your show live from there as well. And this is how much I loved you and, and an anorak. I went on my own to go and watch you do the show. I just finished my breakfast show on Viking to go and then watch you do your show later on that day. Like fanboy, properly. Like, oh, it's, it's amazing. Do you, you probably don't remember. You probably did so many live gigs. There were a lot. The, I, I don't remember that one in Hull. I remember going to Hull a bit because that was the other thing with Galaxy. They would always, you know, they really, the station really tried to serve its whole area. So it was based in Leeds, obviously, but you'd always be doing stuff in Sheffield and Bradford and Hull and York. And um, I don't remember that. I did almost have a Lisa Ianson moment in Ibiza, though. Oh, did you? Yes, with, with Galaxy. Um, Tell me more. Tell and, me more. Well, we had been out, we'd been out at Pasha. Joe Parkinson was out as well, who's now the head of, like, she does all the entertainment stuff for, for, for Bauer. And we've been there, we've been at Pasha. The whole team that was out had been at Pasha. We'd obviously stayed out very, very late, way past sunrise. And um, then I had to do my show, which is the afternoon show. I remember being dragged out of bed by Paul Emmons, who was, like, the assistant programme controller at the time. He literally just threw me into my shower in my room. And... You know, I was kind of bundled in a car to go to, um, I think we were doing it live from Mambo or maybe Cafe Del Mar, but I think it was Mambo we were doing it live from. And just put a microphone in my hand. I don't really remember any of it, but I remember they made me record all my links after the first live <laughs> link. <laughs> and, and, um, and then eventually, um, you know, got back to Leeds and... I, there were just every time I went out in Leeds, random people come up to me going, "That was the funniest show ever! That was amazing. <laughs> Your show in Ibiza sounded like you had great fun." But it's kind of exactly what the station wanted. Um, you know, they, they didn't want you to go to Ibiza and be, you know, talking about farmers markets. Um, <laughs> so, no, it's great fun. All right, so Galaxy One Hundred Five, and then um, how come you left Galaxy One Hundred Five? So it was basically money. Um, because they didn't really pay much. and Did they not? No, it was... I'm trying to think. I think you ended up making a lot of money from doing gigs out and stuff like that. But um, I, on show fees, basically Hallam offered me double the money to come and do the late night talk show. Wow. And they asked me to sign the contract without speaking to Galaxy and I kind of thought, oh, that's really bad. I should really speak to, um, to David. <laughs> but I didn't. I just thought, I just thought, I'll just go to Hallam. And also at the time they were applying for, they, you know, they, there was a whole load of new applications coming in and they were very much about, I think at the time, before it was Kerrang, it was they were going to do a K radio. It was going to be a kind of cross between Kiss and Kerrang. And so they were just wanting people in various places to maybe front that. Um... And I remember years later speaking to David Lloyd, going, I'm really sorry, I should have probably like come and, and spoken to you and asked for more money. He was like, there's no way we'd have paid you anymore. <laughs> we didn't have the budget. <laughs> so, oh, okay then. Oh, glad you, were I carrying that, you were carrying that guilt for many years. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I mean, there were some other things. So um, Andrew Jeffries um, had come in, he had taken control of Galaxy 105 with a format that I... I always had a love-hate relationship with Andrew. He got really good radio out of me, but I really, at the same time, hated working for him. <laughs> um, but I liked him in a personal capacity. I didn't like yeah. him as my boss. So, so that was another reason for leaving. So, yeah, so I went to, I went to Hallam, did a late-night talk show, didn't really know what I was doing. 
Um, but it was, I, I, I think, from going from Galaxy, where it's very much kind of crunch and roll links, you know, 30 second links, yeah. to then having to actually fill kind of talking space for three hours every night. I mean, there, there was yeah. some music on the show, um, but there was a lot of freedom with the kind of music and, you know, you could kind of do interviews, but it was a real development process. Um, and there's still, I didn't, I, the show is very touching, guys. So some nights it would be great, other nights it'd be terrible. Um, but there's still a lot of people from Sheffield that kind of come up to me if they see me and go, oh, I love that show. Like, if, especially I think if they were, you know, if they were kind of high school, sixth form college age, I think there's a bit of a cult following on the show for that, just because we'd do anything, really. It's, it's a bit of a strange one, that, isn't it? So how did you... So somebody must have listened to you on Galaxy doing those crunch so, and roll links and, and gone, oh, he'd be great talking for a constant three hours. Yeah, well, it was Anthony Gay, who was in charge of Hallam at the time. Uh, like, really nice guy. Um, and actually, they just... I'd say about the Northern stations being a bit freer, they just gave me the freedom. They're like, three hours, do what you want. You know, yeah, you can talk about politics one night or you can talk about... You can, you know, get bands on, interview them. You can mess around with just, you know, stupid ridiculousness. And, and it was a mixture of all those things. Did you, in, did you enjoy doing that? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it all apart from the time. I hated working from 10 to 1 at night. You know, I was in my mid-20s. I wanted to go out. And you can't really do that if you're, um, you know, Monday to Thursday um, on the radio from, from 10 to 1. Um, but it was, but yeah, Hallam was fun at the time. Um, but it wasn't quite the same as, as Galaxy. It was, I think the thing with Galaxy, and this happened again at Kerrang, um, was you had a whole load of people that were all the same age in the same city. And, you know, most of us in kind of flat shares with each other, just going out constantly. And it was really good fun. Hallam wasn't quite like that because it was much more of an established stations are a lot of you know people that had just been there for a lot longer and it was probably a bit more transient in its own way um but it was it was still fun there was still you know um a lot of good people there uh, but it was a real development time and it was a real I, I think that my style changed quite a lot there that I was able to uh, become a much better presenter just you know through having that freedom to just talk I miss those days of when the priority was can I still go out and get pissed? <laughs> yes. I miss those days. <laughs> can't, I can't do it anymore. I mean, A, for my work, but also because I just can't survive the next day. Hangovers are terrible. <laughs> now, um, we're moving on to some big hitters now. Um, and I'm not knocking, obviously, Galaxy 105 was a huge station, the biggest outside of London and Hallam and Signal and Pulse. Brilliant. But you then, you, you go to Kerrang. Yeah. And we've, we've spoken to a couple of people who have been part of Kerrang uh, on Crunch and Roll. Um, some amazing stories, um, and that was also that was an incredible station as well, wasn't it? I had been doing the Kerrang show. So one of the shows I did on on Hallam when I was at Hallam um, was the Kerrang show, and it was syndicated across all the EMAP big city stations. Um, though Key sometimes did take it and sometimes didn't, which was always a bit. Uh, interesting but um you know because they were key they could do their own thing but um but then obviously when when the Kerrang station started they uh, appointed Andrew Jeffries as program director so I was like what the fuck god <laughs> um and I think he they had obviously said to Andrew they wanted me on the station I think he's probably you know as reluctant to to, to meet me as I, as I you know love-hate relationship anyway um it, we met up and he put together an amazing team, which was actually a mixture of a lot of the people that had been at Galaxy 105, a lot of people that had been at Beat 106 where he was. And um, again, he was just like, yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna do what we want. We don't care. We play songs to swear words in. You know, as long as it wasn't in when kids were listening, so like school drive time, we'd play the swear versions of songs. We'd, <laughs> Okay, we're just going to play, um, you know, an entire Pearl Jam album now, and you just do it. It was it was just insane. It was amazing, and there were two things. So we launched two stations. There was Kerrang one hundred five point two, which was live in Birmingham, and there was the Kerrang Radio Digital Station, 
which was pre-recorded. I think the National Station was pretty... It was just kind of crunch and rollings. There wasn't anything, you know, that was completely different to what was going out on FM in Birmingham. Yeah. And I think when people, radio people were travelling through and they kind of actually heard what was going out, you know, you couldn't not talk about it because it was just so different to everything else that was... Um, there was going, there's no way you could launch that station today. You know, it would be shut down straight away. It would, you know, it would offend every possible person. It would offend, you know, it, it would be the one thing that would, you know, unite kind of woke and anti-woke mobs is Kerrang 105.2 and offend both of them equally. And they both demand that it was immediately shut down. There's no way that you could do that station now. And I think a lot of that's credit to Andrew Jeffries, who just had the vision to just kind of say to people, yeah, you know, again, he really formatted it very tightly. Um, and you had to stick to his format, but there was enough, you know, leeway in that format that you could do your own thing. And, um, and, and again, you had this kind of group of people that were all, there were some people from Birmingham and there were mainly people from, that, that knew the Birmingham music scene really well, like Steph May and Los Guest. And then there were these people that came down, as I say, mainly from Beat 106 and from Galaxy 105. And we all just went out and had an amazing time. We would go to every single gig that was going on. We would, you know, be at every after show party. Um, we, it, was, it was an amazing time. We'd get into every club we wanted to go into. It was an amazing time. And all that kind of energy would then be on air the next day. Um, so it was, it, was, it was huge. And I think it was something that will never be repeated. I always remember... Um at the EMAP Awards, that all the other tables were dressed very smartly, uh, drinking quite, you know, civilly, and then you'd look over to the Kerrang table and it was just an absolute mess. <laughs> <laughs> like, people, you lot just didn't have suits on, you had your, tra no, you had your yeah, exactly. trainers, do you know what I mean? And, and it, Tim would go up there with a dildo if he won an award. <laughs> it was just like the Kerrang rabble at the corner. And you would always put you all in the corner because they knew you were going to be a nightmare. Yeah, no, it was good fun. I don't, yeah, I don't think that you could get away with that today. I don't think that any of that station would, would survive in any, in any way today. And I think, you know, that's, that's probably sad. But, um, but it, it was, you know, of a, of a space and time. And, you know, what is it now? I think it's great. It sits radio on that frequency, so... Very different. Yeah, very different, yeah. And obviously, we, we, we mentioned this at the top of the uh, the pod, but um, Mark's story, you, you nearly got him shot. Yes, whilst you yeah, <laughs> so we were out. So they were having one of their management away days in Birmingham where all the EMAP managers had kind of come up to Birmingham and then they were all just really drunk. And then Mark texted me saying, let's go out drinking. So I kind of went out and then we ended up in some pub and I'd been out at a gig before, so I was very drunk at the time. And then in some pub in a kind of gay village in Birmingham, and it was just some pub on the periphery. And I can't even remember. It wasn't one that I ever normally went into, but it was something like a Tuesday night. So we were just going round. And then apparently, I don't really remember any of this, but I was being larried to some guy. And then Mark dragged me out of the pub and was like, he literally opened his coat and he had a gun and I was like oh I didn't see that he's like yeah that's why I dragged you out of the pub <laughs> <laughs> like, you're being really obnoxious to him it's like me obnoxious to people in my 20s no I don't believe that so um, so yeah so I almost got my group programme director shot in Birmingham and myself but, you know. well done Lucio that's incredible we're having a party oh yeah um, all right, so let's move on to the next station. So, uh, I mean, again, another big hitter. You moved from Kerrang to XFM. Yes. So I won, I mean, you know, I have won the, the, the Sony Gold for Best Daily Music Show at uh, Kerrang. And, and then about two days later, I signed a contract with XFM. Um, <laughs> I, I think it was a love-hate relationship with Andrew Jeffries uh, because I think I was asking to not have to do a weekend show. You know, obviously have more money, but also not have to do a weekend show. And he was holding out saying, no, he wanted me to do the weekend show as well. 
Um, so, I'd, you know, we we're just kind of holding out till the end of the contract. And then all of a sudden, um, there were some changes at XFM. I think um, Christian had gone to Virgin at the time from breakfast and Andy Ashton called me up and said, have you signed for XF? Have you renewed your contract to Krangia? I was like, no. Uh, he was like, don't do it. Come down to London, meet me. And so I went down to London and then they were like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll sign you up. We don't quite know what we're doing yet, but Christian's leaving um, and we're not quite sure, um, but it's either going to be breakfast or drive time. And then, uh, but in the meantime, you can do weekend breakfast. I was like, okay, cool. So, uh, so you know, went down to London. It was pretty much overnight. It was, you know, one minute I was kind of on Kerrang and absolutely having an amazing time. And then, you know, got offered the, the dream job in London. In the end, the way it worked out was uh, Lauren um, took over breakfast. I ended up on the uh, Drive Time show, and I think that was probably, at XFM, was the best radio I ever did. Um, okay. And that Drive Time show was absolutely fantastic. And I think that the kind of the skills I'd kind of honed, especially from, well, from all the stations before, but especially the kind of, you know, from... No, I think probably the pulse is in there. I think all the stations as well. I was just absolutely ready for it. And, you know, it, it, the radio I was doing was fantastic. I'd obviously just won the, I just won the Sony Gold Award. Oh, you haven't mentioned that, no. though, um, what, what are they called now? <laughs> uh, it's sponsored by someone else, oh, isn't it? Oh, God, no, it's Typhoon. I'm uh, not yeah, sure. Yeah, anyway. Uh, um, so, so I'd won the Sony Gold Award for Best Daily Music Show. Uh, <laughs> 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 and it was amazing. I worked with a fantastic producer called Paul Raffaelli. Paul was a fantastic producer, and we just clicked really well and um, produced some amazing content. And unfortunately, it didn't last very long um, because um, the powers that be at, at GCAP at the time uh, had some bizarre idea of, you know, well, I don't know, they were cost-saving, I think, and so they were going to kind of strip XFM completely back. And they wanted me to be on Capital, so I got offered the job at Capital. I, was only, I don't think I even... I was on, on XFM for a year. I don't think it was a year, but it was... It was a fantastic show. It was a great show. And then I got offered the, the job at Capital. Well, it's not a bad move, is it? You yeah. Know? I mean, there was a I station mean, I'd grown for, up listening to, really. Well, I was going to say, for most people in, in the industry, Capital was, apart from Radio 1, that was the place to try and aim yeah. for, wasn't it? So you did it. How, yeah. did, that, how did that feel? Um, nerve-wracking. Absolutely yeah. nerve-wracking. And I never really relaxed. In, so, so the problem with Capital was that for years and years it had been in decline. No one quite knew what to do with it. And there was a huge amount of pressure on everybody that was there. But I think they tried to relaunch it and make it a kind of soft AC station before I started. And it was an abject failure. And they wanted to kind of push it the other way and make it, you know, proper CHR again. And, um, and, and so that was kind of part of the deal of me moving over at the time. And actually, we, the people that were there at the time, we, we turned it around a bit. Uh, not to the extent that they did afterwards. It, you know, it, we kind of turned the tanker around, as it were. We'd gone from, like, permanent decline into, you know, suddenly starting to grow again. But there was huge amounts of pressure at Capital. So I never really enjoyed Capital until I realised they were going to sack me. And then I had a really good time there for about six months because <laughs> it kind of took the pressure off. So is this, the, is this the moment where you found out you were getting binned via an email? Is that, oh, is that the God, so there was loads of stuff that happened. I mean, there was the famous... So when I got taken off um, drive time, I was doing drive time, and they put me to evenings, and there was an all-staff email that said that they were replacing me, friends of the stars, um, in brackets, well, Mika, um, with this other presenter who won't name, um, because he didn't do anything wrong. Um, and then in brackets, ladies' man. Oh. <laughs> this was sent by the group programme director at the time yeah. to all staff in not just Capital but the entire you know thanks thanks Lucio you, thanks for everything you've done yeah. right, I'm just I can't even be asked to speak to you to your face I'm just going to do staff all email that was the email that was sent out and there was, there was kind of you know bits of that but then when we kind of got to the evening show I was working with um, Beth and Davis who Used to produce um, loads of big shows at Capital and Radio 1. I think she used to produce some of the top of the pop stuff. And 
we eventually ended up with a really good show. So Matt Deverson was also in the production team, who's now, I think, in charge of Radio X. Tyler Cranes, who's now doing loads of stuff at Spotify, was there. Um, it was a really, like, on the evening show, you know, despite the email that was sent round, they put a lot of resource into it. And there was, a, a, you know, and we produced, I think, eventually, we ended up with a really good sounding show. And I've, I've still got some, some stuff from there, which I occasionally listen back to. And I think, actually, that was really... That was really good. But but most of that was happening after I knew they were getting rid of me. And I I, I think I had... It was about nine months I knew that I was going to be gone. And part of that was because initially they'd only offered me a contract for about three months. They wanted to extend my contract for three months. And I was like, no, <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to do that. Why and, do uh, they do that? I mean, how do they expect people to be happy with, like, oh, no. I'm going to give you three months? No, I was like, no, I'll go, I'll go to... And I literally got that down to the wire. And then eventually, um, about the day before my contract expired, the boss who should remain nameless at the time said, um, okay, I'm going to offer you a year. But I knew that that year probably wouldn't last a year if that made okay. sense. Because I thought, you know, you're just not ready to relaunch your station yet because this is a time when um, the rich boy that bought all the radio things um, that I'd have <laughs> zero time boy. for. <laughs> Daddy, I don't know what to do with my life. Buy me lots of radio stations. Come on, you want the horses. Um, and that's basically what happened and we never, I never got on with them. I mean, I used to do links on Capital about how, like, if I was super rich, there's no way I'd buy a yacht. I'd want to buy a sailboat. Because like, why do you want a big yacht? They're ostentatious. Knowing that he was on his yacht at the time in Monaco. I kind of do links like that the day he got back. So maybe it's not entirely surprising that he sacked me. I wonder why. But, you know. <laughs> now, obviously, we, we've we've not mentioned the Hit Forty UK. Yes. I mean, you did Hit the chart, Lucia. Yeah. Um, up did against, you enjoy doing that? Yes, I love doing the chart show. Mainly because... So you said you'd spoken to... Um, was it Joel oh. Ross you spoke to? Joel Ross, yeah. Yeah, so JK and Joel were doing the chart show on Radio 1. Obviously, I knew JK and Joel back from... Because they were at Viking FM yeah. back in the day. So I knew them. And then I think they went to Key 103. Did they do Key 103 before Radio 1? That's, that's Try, right. Yes. So, um, so, so I'd known them for years. And obviously, when I got the chart show, it's gone chance they I'm going. And, you know, we were kind of ribbing each other about... They were going, oh, your, your chart show's made up. So it doesn't matter, we're still going to beat you, you know. Um, you got the official chart, no one's going to listen. I think um, something else has started producing it, and it had, I think before I took over, it was only on the... I don't think the Bauer stations were taking it. I think they had done their own chart. So it was on, like, GCAP and other groups, whatever other groups there were, but Bauer did their own chart. Anyway, when I took over the chart, Bauer agreed that they'd then come back into Hit 40 UK... So we were a proper national commercial radio chart. I remember sitting down with Simon Long, who I loved a bit, who obviously used to work at, at KISS, um, but was working for something else at the time. He was in charge of like exec producing the show. And so we were kind of sat down, what can we do? And we are like, well, we can only play the official top 10, but there was nothing stopping us playing it first. So we decided that our big thing would be that we would play the official number one first. So it didn't matter that the, you know, that the numbers 40 to... 11 were essentially made up because it was sales and airplay. Um, But we had the official top 10 and there was no stipulation that we had to play it after Radio 1. So um, we decided that we'd kind of tweak it so that at the end of our chart show, we'd have three songs that would be um, our predictions for future Hip 40 UK, you know, big hits. (laughs) So that we were playing the number one essentially quarter, well, 10 minutes before Radio 1. (laughs) <laughs> and I remember on the first time we did it we were monitoring Radio 1 and their poor producer I, I, I think what I you know I always got on with JK and Joel and we could kind of rib each other but I think I don't I can't remember the guy's name but the producer on Radio 1's charge at the time did not like I didn't really have a clue who he was and he took it all really personally <laughs> that these commercial radio upstarts were you know going to play the number one first and I remember we were kind of making sure we were ahead of Radio 1. And we were like, yeah, we're definitely about, you know, two songs ahead. And then all of a sudden they started cutting back their records, trying to catch up. So obviously monitoring us <laughs> and trying to be So us. essentially somebody was sat at Radio 1 listening to you do the chart yeah. on the... Yeah, and we were, we were sat listening to them. Get a move on, get a move on. <laughs> but we still uh, played number one first. But yeah, so 
that ended up being a massive show actually obviously it was the you know most listened to chart show but in a way this is just statistics isn't it because you're on more stations so you know but I guess it's two national shows up against each other so maybe it is you know choice thing I don't know but like for me I couldn't understand why people wouldn't listen to the real chart <laughs> not the <laughs> were you listening to that as well just to... <laughs> well yes it's made up chart but um, no it was good fun it was really good fun and I always wanted to do the chart chart shows are good fun because you're kind of up against the clock so you've got to play the number one before the show finishes and you have to you know you've got 40 songs to play in there um, and eventually um, they took production in house and I had a uh, producer called uh, Paddy Bunce, who was great. Paddy used to be, um, I think he used to do sport on um, on the Breakfast Show on Capital, on um, Johnny Vaughan's show. Um, but then he ended up kind of going more into production stuff. And he was a great producer for me because he'd literally be like, Lucho, that was shit to record it again. <laughs> That's what I you like, want, though, I think. I thought that was all right. No, it was terrible. Do it again. Just do it again. <laughs> do not argue and just do it again. Whereas I think when it was with something else, they were much more, you know, used to being an external producer uh, and probably more used to working with, with people that were at the BBC, where I think on national radio, it's, it's very different on the BBC to commercial radio, where, you know... Yeah. You know, okay, you've done that. That's brilliant. It's terrible, but we'll somehow make it sound good. Um, <laughs> whereas no, Paddy is much more direct. That's terrible as shit. Terrible. You could do, do better than that. I find it quite strange actually, because obviously you, as, a, as an on-air personality, have got something to say, and so is Joel as well, and, and Jason. And then they put you on, uh, you know, a chart show where you you've just got to crunch and roll it because mm. you are up against the clock. I mean, for somebody that has, I mean, you have got something to say. Did you not get bored after No, because you can say so much about the charts. Because you okay. don't have to like the songs. It's just you, what, So you can be honest. Yeah, you can be honest. Why the hell are you buying that? This is awful. Stop, <laughs> stop making me play this every week. I hate you. Here's Mr. Blobby at number four. Like, literally sort your lives out. You know, I mean, that's, that's the link you can do. You know, you can do that. Um, you know, look, whatever you do, don't give Simon Cow another Christmas number one, for God's sake. <laughs> Seriously. All right. Um, so, yeah. So you can th- th- you can put a lot of personality into a chart show. And I always did, no matter what, you know, what chart I was doing. I would always, um, you know, just be honest about the music. People don't have to agree. Because that's the other thing. People don't have to agree with you. They'll disagree with you. I remember <laughs> the, the Spice Girls came back with a song and I called it Headlice on air because it was headlines, I think. And I never liked the Spice Girls, right? I, I think I'm part of the generation that's just a bit too old to like the Spice Girls. I think if I'd been born about two years later, I'd have you know, loved the Spice Girls and thought that they invented women in music. But I remember the Go-Go's and the Bangles and you know, people that could actually write their own songs and play their own instruments. So I had zero time for the Spice Girls. And I, you know, tell you what I want. God's sake. Um, yeah, I just, I, you know, but, but anybody you speak to that, say, under the age of 40 will just, you know, think that this, you know, that, that the Spice Girls are a huge thing for them. And they're like, you know, this kind of epiphany of, like, women can do stuff in music. And it's like, they always could, you know, there were far more talented women before them. Now, I'm not saying the Spice Girls didn't actually open some doors for women in music. You know, I, I think they probably did, but there were, you know, they weren't, I don't think they were the trailblazers. I think there were a whole load of people, you know, Banana Rama, for God's sake, uh, that, you know, did so much more uh, before. But anyway, I called the song Headlice, uh, Headlines Headlice uh, on the chart. And then I was at, I think it was Jingle Bell Ball, and Emma Bunton came running up to me and said, stop being nasty about us. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're listening. <laughs> so. All right. So um, you then move on to another absolute beauty of a station. You go to Absolute. Yes. Um, I loved Absolute, um, but it was always Bridesmaid, never the bride. Uh, Absolute. You know, I, I was doing weekend breakfast and, and do loads of covering. It'd always be, you know, Absolute is one of those stations which didn't really care about how much time people had off. So, you know, like you could, you could be doing the breakfast show and have like six months off if you wanted, pretty much. But there'd always be people off on holiday and I'd always just do... And I was like the number one choice for cover, I think, at the time. So, you know, I'd pretty much be working there. 
most weeks I'd be working because there'd be someone or other off. But I, I was doing weekend breakfast and also the Absolute 80s show on a, on a Friday night, and I loved that show. And I, I loved working there, but I think the issue was that, in a way, I'd, I'd, I'd have probably been, with, with hindsight, you know, I, I should have probably stayed, but I was always like, oh, I want to have, you know, I want to, on a weekday show. And it just didn't seem that that was going to, you know, happen at, at Absolute at the time. But I, you know, it was a really nice bunch of people. Again, they had kind of... I, I'm not sure it could absolutely have happened if Kerrang! hadn't happened. Because Absolute was kind of the sanitised, safer, family-friendly version of Kerrang! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the irreverence, the, you know, the, the kind of production values, that kind of stuff... That had all kind of, you know, could, could you have had Absolute without Kerrang? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure the people at Absolute will say, yeah, nothing to do with Kerrang. But I, I think that, you know, Kerrang kind of paved the way for, for some of the stuff that Absolute was doing, definitely. So I, I had a really good time there. Uh, I fit in, liked the station. It was a, a great place to work, but I kind of felt, you know, bridesmaid of the bride. Um, and then uh, Trevor White, who had known from the days when Planet Rock was at, GCAP contacted me about doing breakfast at Planet Rock and I think I've been at Absolute for about maybe two years and I have reservations about the Planet Rock thing but he'd kind of promised you know that I could have a lot of freedom and that the station needed to you know kind of be refreshed and and, and kind of move a bit younger but the problem at the time was that that I think GCAP had sold Planet Rock to some guy that was you know like a car dealer in Kent or something that liked <laughs> classic rock music and wanted to say over everything. So when I got there, the promises that had been made about kind of freedom and stuff never happened. And really, I should have probably left, but I, you know, I had a contract and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. So I, I've always been a, 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 a union member at work, so I've always had the kind of free legal coverage. So I kind of, I knew they were trying to get rid of me, so I contacted Equity and they kind of wrote a letter to them that kind of said, hey... We've got access to lots of lawyers. And Back off. they didn't really have the money to pay me off. So it was kind of worst of both worlds where I ended up just staying, writing out my contract. Um, but that was a time when radio was really contracting because you'd kind of come out of... So this is probably about 2011. So we were coming out of the financial crash. Um, our revenues were massively down. We hadn't kind of had the digital boom yet of all the digital stations. And so people were kind of hunkering down in their jobs and so it was just a bad time all round really but at that stage I kind of started feeling that I'd run out of things to say and places to be and it was about that time where I'd had the conversation with Andy Roberts where he was like your problem is there isn't a station that's right for you (laughs) (laughs) but it's probably true I think that you know it was it was a good run and I always say I think it's kind of cool to be a DJ in your 20s and 30s less so in your 40s and 50s but then it starts to get cool again in the sixties. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I just have you ever have you ever spoken about your career to anybody before? Is this the first time? No, you've no this about is it? probably the first time. Actually, so I mean, when you reflect on it, I mean, I know I, I messaged you that earlier in the week, and I said, just send me the list of stations. When you sat there and wrote them down, mm. you must be over the moon of what you've achieved. Yeah, I think it's it's huge. Like I, when I was a, you know. Yeah, I, I I went to uni because there was a student radio station there, and I just thought oh, it'd be fun to do student radio. And then, you know, when you're doing student radio, especially back in those days where you do like the FM RSL and everyone would listen, and you go back on the, it was in the the university halls. There was a kind of inductive AM loop that you just couldn't hear at all. You know, this <laughs> yeah, the days before the internet, really. So like, oh, to be on a proper station, that was, you know, the aim. And I, and I guess I always just aimed for the next step, if that made sense. So what's the next step? And then eventually I'd get there. And then I just kind of ran out of aims, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But there's, so, so my partner, um, Balen works in radio, works at Absolute Radio Country. I've probably got that. In the, have I got that in the right order? Let me look at the, uh, yeah, no, that's the right order. I always get told off by Paul Sylvester for calling it Absolute Country Radio. So, so he's obviously still in radio and doing really well for himself. And he's always come back going, oh, I met so-and-so. And they were asking after you and what are you doing? I was like, oh, they remember me. That's good. But um, I enjoyed it all. Um, I'm not saying never, but I just, 
I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really know what. Um, but do, do you miss it? I really like what I'm doing now. That's a real politician's answer, isn't it? Um, no, I think I mean, and I, 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 I tell you what, I don't miss. There's a lot of things in radio I don't miss. I don't miss the insecurity. And I think working the railways is the exact opposite. So in many ways, working the railways is the same. In many ways, it's the exact opposite. So working in the railways you and radio are similar because they are both industries that have huge amounts of anoraks that know nothing about how the industries actually run, but think that they know everything about how they should be run. So that yeah. is a massive <laughs> similarity. But the, the difference, I guess the, the key big difference is... That in radio you say, well, we'll, we'll try that because let's face it, no one's going to die. Whereas on the railways, you're like, oh god, no, because if that goes wrong, like you know, hundreds of people might die, so we can't do that. So, so you know, there's there's similarities, there's big differences. But um, I like the job security. I think I got to a point in radio where the the lack of security was affecting my mental health. And I think it wasn't just that that was affecting my mental health. I think there are other aspects of radio that were just not kind of... You're kind of putting yourself, opening yourself up to people every single day. I think that took a bit of a toll on processing. So I'd been on this massive roller coaster ride and I hadn't had any time to actually mentally process everything that had happened. And um, I think I'm probably still in that mental processing point. And once I've fully mentally processed it, maybe I'll be in a position to know if I want to do something and what that something would be. But at the moment, I'm very happy. Um, I, ju- I just I just wondered, because I remember I chatted, and this is many years ago, I chatted to the voiceover artist Red Pepper. Yes. You know, you know yeah, Red Pepper? Deep, deep voice, yeah, amazing. Yeah, amazing voice. And um, he, he, he was actually spotted because he worked for London Underground. And right. he, was, he was the guy who said, the next station is... yeah. yeah. And someone heard that and went, you should be a voiceover. I just wondered, now that you, I mean, you've got an amazing job now. You drive trains. Do you ever have the urge just to pick up that microphone? <laughs> what, while driving the train? Just, just to do one link. Just a little <laughs> crunch and roll. Coming up next, Slough, no. <laughs> I, I think there's a very different mindset to working on the railways to, to radio. And on the railways, there's a whole load of rules and regulations that make sense for me to stick to because they're about safety and they're about reducing the chances of, you know, killing and maiming people. Whereas on radio, what I found frustrating was that there were lots of rules and regulations, but they weren't necessary because ultimately it didn't matter because no one's going to die. You know, and I think that in my head... I can understand people telling you not to do something if it makes, you know, because go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I guess if a speed limit 60, then I should stick to 60, because if I don't stick to 60, then the train could come flying off the rails. Um, you know, that makes <laughs> sense. That's, that's, that, there's a rule there. There's do this because of this, you know. If you're going to get on the track, uh, get a line block. You know, that, that makes sense, because I don't want to get run over by a train. Whereas on radio, it's like, no, that link should have been 20 seconds long and you were 25 seconds long. Yeah, but it was a really good link. No, but it should have been 20 seconds long and you made it 25. Was, Shut the fuck up. It doesn't fucking matter. And I think I haven't quite got over that yet. So, yeah, when, um, you know, I'm not saying never, but as, as I said, maybe one day in, in this digital age, what's Andy Roberts doing now? Maybe he'll invent a radio station for me. Uh, who, no. knows? who knows well there'll be someone else I can fall out with in the future <laughs> <laughs> listen thank you so much for doing thank this. you Foxy I, I, no it's uh, you, it's you're good great to and, and it's it, you've got an amazing CV so whilst you're driving that train be proud of what you've achieved you know it's uh, it's incredible. You've done what most people would dream of doing. So that's something, isn't it? And didn't you win a Sony as well? You didn't mention I Sony. I won a Sony Gold, yes. No, I definitely <laughs> did. I won a Sony Gold. Um I didn't I don't think I ever won an EMAP award though. Oh. So well, I've won you know. I've won a few of them. Well, so there, there we go. go. So, you know, you <laughs> Well, listen, Lucio, before we always ask our guests to finish the the podcast. Uh, have you ever done any voiceover work? Oh my god. Right. So, I had the chance of being an egg in a government safety campaign in 2010 and the, and I think it was for telly and it was going to be like 10 grand I was like this is amazing I just had to be an egg and then the Tories won the election and they 
introduced austerity and they literally, the day before I was meant to go in and get £10,000 of taxpayers' money for being an egg, they scrapped it. Uh, yet more reason not to vote for Conservatives. Well, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, look, we, we always get our uh, our guests to finish uh, in their best voiceover style, the, the end credits. But Lucio, once again, thank you so much. It's lovely to see you. Take care. It's been uh, a pleasure doing this. It's been really good fun. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Lucio. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as it drops. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Borofsky. Yes. <laughs>